when they and when they got on set and they realized they were there, it's like, hey, how you doing? It's great. Oh, we're here. Hey. Basically, it tells you how good characters are at acting within a certain context. Cooley, how often when you roll the pool, when you just giving yourself a bunch of extra dice, and you're like, oh man, I really need to crit. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. D20Radio.com All right, everybody, welcome back to Squad Tactica. This is going to be a very special episode where we are going to talk a little bit about a new game and the designers and developers of a game called The Gangs of Undercity. Now, this is not the Necromunda game from Games Workshop. This is a Kickstarter game, and we're going to pick the brains of these designers, developers, these great and wonderful people who have come on the show to talk about. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, I am Opti. I am the uh, the founder of Fragging Unicorns Games, who uh, are the makers of Gangs of the Undercity. And uh, yeah, it's basically been um, my brainchild, but I've had a tremendous amount of help, uh, for example, from my good friend, Cliff. Hello, yes. My name is Cliff, also known as Mr. Johnson of the Arcology Podcast. Big into Shadowrun and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, I've, I've been just thrilled to see uh, Gangs of the Undercity develop. Uh, my involvement has mostly been hanging around and playing games with Opti to try it out. And then later on down the road, I was pretty heavily involved in the editing process for the rule books, or for the, for the rule book rather. This one so far, I think, just just the one. But um, <laughs> And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to see it go, and I've had a lot of fun with it every time I played it. Wonderful. So the good news is you guys had a Kickstarter that was extremely successful. So congratulations. So the game will come to fruition. You yeah. guys are shipping it out uh now aren't you some of our stuff is shipping out now uh we had a partnership with death ray designs uh if your listeners are familiar with them they do a lot of really really cool terrain uh games workshop stuff infinity stuff and we were lucky enough to partner with them and got a whole bunch of custom terrain for gangs of the undercity so they are actually shipping out all of their stuff now we have uh backers who have already started receiving their stuff and our the core system and all the minis should be out uh, in the next few months. We're hoping for January, um, but the manufacturing stuff can sometimes be out of my hands. So that's that's a hard lesson that I'm learning. But yeah, we, we should be shipping very soon. No, I mean, that's that's totally understandable. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and all kinds of stuff. It's yeah, we understand. So let's talk about uh, the history of the game. Where did... Gangs of Inner City come from? You know, it's this is a um, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's it looks like a cyberpunk meets like Shadowrun meets a lot of different places that a lot of people are familiar with, but it has its own unique flavor. And I want you guys to tell us like where did this come from? How was it birthed? And what brought you to this uh, iteration of the game here in 2020? Uh, sure. Uh, the bottom line is um, you mentioned Shadowrun uh, and and Cliff and I both are freelancers uh, or writers or game developers for Catalyst Game Labs as well. Like, you know, so we we work with them to to make content for the Shadowrun role playing game. Uh, we also have a Shadowrun podcast that we do. So so full disclosure, uh, we're all in on the cyberpunk slash fantasy genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, that that's you know it's inextricably tied up with with that sort of stuff. So back in mm, 2013. Uh, Catalyst Game Labs, who has the license for tabletop Shadowrun stuff, announced a game called Sprawlgangers. And it was supposed to exactly be a skirmish war game about Shadowrun. Um, and, and, and at that time, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, uh, but Games Workshop had just annihilated their fantasy line at that, mm, at yep. that point. Uh, and, yep. and all of the... Uh, thousands of dollars that I had sunk into Games Workshop fantasy minis uh, were yelling at me from my garage, like, how dare they do this to you? So <laughs> I had to take a little bit of a break from, from Games Workshop, and I said, that's okay, because Shadowrun is coming out with a game, and I'll just put all my, you know, my effort into that. And along the way, we be- I became a freelancer at Shadowrun, started the Shadowrun podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And every time I'd go to... Uh, Gen Con or Origins you know, conventions to talk with the folks at CGL about, uh, hey, when's Sprawlgangers coming out, right? And it was always the same, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, it's being worked on, it's being worked on. And that continued up until about 2018 uh, at, at Gen Con. And I finally said, hey, what, you know, what about Sprawlgangers? And they gave me this answer like, well, uh-oh. Y- you know, <laughs> uh, they had just released, um, what was it, Cliff? It was like a pack of five. Uh, do you remember those minis? It's a pack of five minis or something like that at, at uh, yeah. Gen Con. I got to see them at Gen Con. I've since seen them in stores, which is kind of neat. Uh, they're neat, fun little uh, like miniature pack of, I think, five miniatures. Uh, particularly like the the way they do the uh, the dwarf with the drone. But it's definitely not a, a a cyberpunk fantasy skirmish miniatures game where we can put together our gangs and see how the Halloweeners go on against the ancients uh, when they rumble down in Puyallup. Yeah, and, and you know the I, I don't know what I was expecting, right? But and the miniatures are are okay, right? But they're a little bit too big to fit in with the other ranges, and and there was no rules. It was just five miniatures, and so I was like, hey, you know, what's up with Sprawlgangers? And the the response I got was, well, we'll see how well these miniatures sell. And if they do well enough, then maybe we'll release another set. And if those do well enough, then maybe we'll release some maps. And if those do well enough, maybe we'll get some rules. And I was like, and all I was hearing was, oh, okay, got it. This will never happen. <laughs> right? Because, uh, you know, if you're if you're a war gamer, you're not buying those sort of cheaper plastic models that don't fit in with the rest of your range. Like, you know, so, you know, I thought that was a pretty, um, and again, they, they could do whatever they want to, right? I'm not criticizing the way they do the company but they it can, did but, but uh, can i just bring up here that this is also the company that owns and does BattleTech perfectly fine and that that's going quite well for them and they have no trouble coming out with miniatures and new stuff for <laughs> battle tech uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean like on my system I'll, I'll let that go with that <laughs> the, the, again the, the, the end result was okay i got it if you're not going to do this um let me let me put my head together with a couple of other folks and see what would it be like for us to do this, right? Because clearly people want this, right? People have been, you know, asking, you know, hey, what about the Shadowrun minis game for a long time? So I thought, you know what? There's a there's a group of people out there that want this. Let's try and do it ourselves and see what happens. I didn't know what I was what I was getting into. 
Um, if, <laughs> the learning curve <laughs> for creating a minis game and, and getting man, uh, minis manufactured, like that learning curve is so huge. But I'm really glad that we we started going that direction. But that's that's the origin of it, right? So about two years ago, we just said, like, hey, you know what? Let's just do it ourselves. I think you guys picked a really good time considering that Cyberpunk is really hot with, you know, the Cyberpunk 77 release. I know the game is kind of in a bad place, but like the IP, that universe, people really want it, especially now that we're in like, you know, 2020 and all the technological implications. So I'm excited to see how this comes about because I always, I like Cyberpunk games. I used to play the Cyberpunk RPG. Mm -hmm. Um, These models will probably hit the table if I ever bring that game out again, um, just because <laughs> they, they fit that dynamic so well. Um, but I want to talk about the skirmish aspect. You guys had said that there was a Shadowrun minis game and it just kind of didn't happen, although there was a lot of potential. It was and- announced and, and it was even in uh, in some play tests, but yeah, it never, never materialized. Yeah. So... Where did you guys, I don't want to say pick up the slack because there wasn't really slack because it didn't exist. So (laughs) at what point did you decide, all right, we're going to make ours and now we're going to start with what you have now? Because obviously this is not Shadowrun, but it is very similar. And it's very interesting because the way the rulebook is laid out, there is a skirmish game inside of it. But as you design and build the minis and your team comp, it feels a little bit like an RPG at times. And that's kind of cool. I've not seen that before in a any kind of war game whatsoever. Usually it's just, here's a bunch of stuff, put it together, and they cost points. This is more like, well, you know, you build your gang, and then you add these... Uh, abilities and you, you upgrade these things and then you can pick weapons you can you can custom code everything and create your own unique experience i think uh opti if you don't mind uh, me answering Please. this one yeah i think um i think a big part of what comes from that is that we are also rpg people uh, we also dig playing miniatures games uh but but we're also really into rpgs and and I think a lot of the people who are involved to some degree with Gangs of the Intercity and its development are, are more RPG people than Wargamer people. <laughs> now, that said, there's also um, there's also going to be a role-playing game coming out in this setting uh, that's been in, devel- in development alongside of it. So, so there's that plan laid right along with it. So it makes sense that you would draw that conclusion. That that, that that's a good thing. <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna have to have you on for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big role playing game guy, and this seems like it would. I was actually gonna ask that question, but I was gonna say this seems like a really good role playing system, and uh, you've <laughs> answered that. Wow, I'm really ex- I'm I'm excited. This looks okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. But yeah, to to kind of get to your to your other question about about the setting. Um, we didn't want to just do Shadowrun, right? We didn't want to copy that world and just sort of do a repeat. Um, but the question we asked ourselves really early was, what kind of a world can we create that where you can do the same things, right? The same actions as you can do in Shadowrun, right? So we wanted to have magic. We wanted to have, um, you know, like hacking. We wanted to have a dystopian, cool-looking buildings everywhere right so we wanted to be able to do the same things you could do in a shadow run game but we don't want to just carbon copy the world and so we started thinking 
backwards um, about what that would look like, we realized that Shadowrun has a very particular thing, right? Like the magic returned to the world, you know, in um, 2012. What what we decided was, what if magic never left, right? What if magic had always existed in this world? How might things have progressed? So we start off with a sort of like a like a D&D type fantasy system and then just, you know, make it 2,000 years later, which was, uh, which was really, really fun. But also, uh, word to the wise, if you go that direction, you will spend a great deal of your time world building and just building up history so that everything is consistent. So a lot of our internal stuff has just been arguing and arguing and arguing <laughs> over over uh, what sort of history makes sense given uh, orcs and elves and dwarves and uh, and magic and and a uh, and all of this within the context of uh, the uh, Babylonian Empire being the ones to first be able to use magic to uh, control other people so that's that's sort of our starting point is um, you know, 600 BC, the Babylonian Empire finally figures out how to use magic on a large scale, and uh, and then we're off to the races. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so with this design space that you're talking about, you've crafted a unique uh, culture within the game state of gangs. Can you tell us a little bit about that creation? Because, you know, in other games, you have like factions or armies, and this is much more of a, at least it seems on the surface based on looking at the rules, it's kind of a, a gang war. Like everyone's kind of right, vying for control of space, territory, resources, and that creates an interesting tension right off the bat where it's like, who am I going to get behind? Who do I want to represent? And who do I want to punch teeth in? Like, let's go. Let's go. Absolutely. Part of what we had to do was... Um because we knew like we wanted to make this gang war type thing, right? Again, we were, we were saying if Shadowrun's not going to do their gang war game, we're going to, so that's, that's where it started off. And we had to decide how do we in this dystopian setting, how do we get a setting in which uh, you can have rival gangs fighting in the streets without, (laughs) without any repercussion. Right. Um, And so that's where the undercity came from. Now it's funny because, um, we had we did not have the sort of Necromunda gangs of the Underhive in our minds at all, right? We were just thinking, like, how do we have this gang-based uh, game, and what can we do? And somebody says, well, what if we make an Undercity uh, to Neo-Babylon, which is where our gang, uh, game is set? What if we have an Undercity there that is totally lawless, right? So each it's not only do the gangs have free reign – but the gangs are everything, right? The, the gangs are the ones who provide any semblance of order. The gangs are the ones who control all the neighborhoods. The gangs are the ones who uh, are causing all the problems. And after that, it just sort of fell into place where you have um, a completely lawless area under the main city that sort of nobody cares about. And gang culture has just run rampant. So if you if you check out the, the rule book, you guys have, I believe, 12 different gangs uh can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of like what they are like like elevator pitch obviously you don't need to spend like too long talking about them but they each seem extremely unique and that's one of the big rpg elements like right out of the bat not only do you have 12 different things you can play and represent but like inside of that you've got 
ways to build them out uniquely. It's like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, uh, we we weren't going to have 12 factions. We weren't going to have 12 gangs initially. Uh, they were stretch goals, right? And so uh, some of the stretch goals were just, hey, unlock this gang that we're already thinking about making. And uh, some of the, the levels that you could back at were create your own gang. So we ended up with 12, which is, which is actually quite more than we thought we were going to have, but you're right. The way that we did it wasn't just like, Hey, pick your colors, right? We wanted each gang to have a very unique feel to them. And so you're, you know, you obviously have a bunch of customization options within each gang, but um, the two player box set comes with, with uh, the sort of starter gangs, which are the Valkyrs and the flaming skulls. And the Valkyrs are like a former military band of elves. Uh, and the Flaming Skulls are like a uh, raucous group of misfits who use brutality and explosions, you know, to expand their turf. Um, <laughs> the uh, six other original gangs, um, not the not the ones created by the Kickstarter backers, but the ones that we were intending to make anyway are the Bulls of Heaven, who are all basically large humanoids. So you have like Minotaurs and uh, Yeti and Sasquatch, that sort of thing. Uh, the Shadow Cast, which is like an Assassin's Guild. The Necro Goblins, which are like high-tech mobster goblins. Um, the Neverkin, who are an all-human gang, uh, but they're not because they're racist, but because uh, they're a group of ex-slaves, you know, from a, a group of people that were selling human slaves in the estate. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, like yeah. They're, a, they're sort of a, an anti-slavery gang. Um, the Hitari, which are uh, um, named after Alexander the Great's uh, fighting fighting army, his personal bodyguard. And they're a motley punk band um, that that, that, uh, <laughs> that can rock as well as roll heads. Uh, and the Lawjacks, who are basically the police, but in Gangs of the Undercity, the police are just another corrupt gang, right, in the Undercity. So um, in the Overcity, the Lawjacks are, are the police, and, and maybe they're respectable, maybe they're not. But in the Undercity, you have... Uh, a group of Lawjacks who just came down there because, you know, nobody could tell them not to. And so they became, Oh, okay. Um, there's four fan made gangs and those are Emerald gridlock, which is basically a motorcycle gang. And so like all of their models, uh, will have, uh, motorcycles, the misfits who are basically, um, they don't have any rules. They're just a group of people that found each other. And so they, they're sort of <laughs> off the beaten path. The salvagers are a bunch of, uh, dwarfs and other little folk, uh, who find things and and you know uh, make things and and they're sort of like the technological uh, junkyard group. And then you have the troop, which is basically, um, and I don't want to say a silly gang, but they're all like dramatic, overacting, um, uh, well, actors, right? <laughs> they all, yeah, they all yeah, have yeah. a have this huge flair to them, right? And they're they're all about uh, the emotions and the uh, and the acting of it all. I can't wait to see models for salvagers in the troop. Like those are the two. I was like, man, these sound like fun. Yeah, we didn't have time, uh, and and we didn't frankly have the budget to make actual minis for the four fan made gangs. But those are in process. We're not going to forget them just because they were fan made um we just had to focus on the ones that we knew we could make first so absolutely absolutely so uh i would love to hear the story behind the fan made uh gangs because that seems like it was kind of a fun experience for you and the team because here's for i mean it's a community 
experience and two of them are the ones I gravitated towards immediately. Like that's just cool. Yeah. That caught me off guard too. Um, because when we, when you join our discord channel, uh, you have to choose a gang. <laughs> and so like you, you'll, you'll have a faction that like, uh, or a channel on the discord server that only you can can see if you're part of that gang. Um, and it, it doesn't really do anything other than just, you know, give you one channel to talk to other people uh, in that gang about. But I was really surprised that a lot of people gravitated towards those fan made gangs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a it was a cool experience. We just uh, we reached out and said, hey, congratulations. Thanks for supporting us. What's your idea? Right. We gave them sort of what gangs we had already. And then they came back. Well, I'm thinking about this. And I said, okay, well, maybe that doesn't work, but what about this? And like, oh, yeah, that's great. So it was a really collaborative process, and ultimately we wanted them to be happy, right? Um, I was willing to change stuff about the setting as long as it would make them happy that they supported us. So it was a really cool process back in. Okay, so let's talk about the gangs. You've given us the elevator pitch, who they are, what they do. What are they fighting for? What What is this Undercity that we as the players are getting teleported into and all of a sudden, boom, you're a part of a gang. You're about to go to war, get your, you know, weapons ready because we're about to rumble, you know, sharks, jets, like what, what are we going over? Are we, you know, like what is the fight? What is the the grand scope of this combat scenario? I think it largely depends on the scenario, but the most common theme is they're fighting over turf. You've got a certain, block or a patch of land or ground that is inhabited that you have the control over as your gang. And that's what gives you any sense of legitimacy and authority and ability to survive and gather resources, not just be one of the people who's trampled by the gangs of the Undercity. So turf is a big part of it, but sometimes you're uh, going after a a particular um, uh, gang member. A lot of gang fights are personal and uh, there's a lot of rivalries between them. And sometimes uh, the lawjacks get involved. And it's just a matter of both gangs trying to survive and be the one who doesn't get kicked down the worst. Did I cover all of them, Opti, or do you have some more you want to add? I only want to add that um, there is a sort of meta narrative that is going to be playing out uh, as we go through the game. Um, so at the beginning of the game, like when this Gangs of the Undercity takes place, it's, it's directly after a period of relative quiet where the gangs are more or less, you know, not killing each other as much. Um, and then you have one particular gang leader who goes out of their way to sort of unite all the gangs. And when that character gets murdered mysteriously, it makes open war break out across all of the Undercity. Um, so that's sort of the, the introduction. You'll find little bits and pieces of that in the rule book. Um, but we plan on expanding that and, you know, every, every so often, again, once we, once we fulfill the initial game, um, we're looking to have uh, either seasonally or biannually releasing some narrative bits to sort of move the story forward. And we'll also use that opportunity to release some new minis and maybe some new factions and models and stuff like that. <laughs> Did you guys ever play the old uh, Elf Legend of the Five Rings trading card game before? As a matter Fancy of Flight fact, got it? I'm okay. glad that you said that because okay. that is exactly what we wanted to do for minis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yes, right. I played L5R. I thought that is exactly what I want 
my minis experience to be. And so that's, that was our template for how to do it. Yeah. I, I am so glad we're on the same page because I'll, I love the card game, but the, the clan representation was by far my favorite thing because when yes. you went into your store and you saw that scorpion flag hanging, you're like, yes. all right, we are, we are in it. You have to come take our land from us. And that that's kind of the vibe I got from this. I'm like, you know what? Once stores open, or even if you do like regional base, like you know mm-hmm. this this state or this uh, city within the state, we are you know the troop or we are X Y Z. Like that seems so much fun because although it's you know it's not expensive, it doesn't cost anything. Having that clan pride is super fun because people are chalking trash and you're always trying to get that gang. And if you are that gang, you're trying to, you know, keep that honor. And it just creates this really fun community where you're like, no, no, yes, yes. And and I love it. It's so cool. I'm glad you guys are doing that kind of thing. That's, that's neat. Yeah. One of the things that, that L5R did really, really well is they had these big events that, that were, influential right so like literally at gen con you would have them playing these huge uh tournaments right and then you would have a a person who was part of the team uh the, the fiction writers and they would be there watching how things went down they would be seeing who rose to the top and and who the the last four or five battles were and they'd be writing down notes as to how to integrate that into the lore so that by the time you got to the final two people fighting, whatever the factions were, it could be the same faction fighting each other. That would be the big event or the big fiction thing that happened, you know, in between, uh, you know, the, the, the seasons and, and you, and that would make its way into the next release. And so I just, I am so enamored by, by changing the game and, and getting fan interaction and getting fan buy-in that that's exactly the the sort of model we want. We're going to, we're going to have a huge, uh, you know, whenever we can do conventions again, who knows when that's going to be. Um, <laughs> but when, when they start again, we are, we are planning to have um, huge, you know, tournaments and things like that, that will absolutely affect uh, the story as we go forward. And not just in a games workshop way that they did back in, you know, what was it, 98, where, you know, this will change everything. And then they re- reround it and said, no, nah, just kidding. <laughs> that, was, that was a little too far. Right. Uh, right. Again, I, I played I played back then. I don't know if you remember that. It was the what was it? Storm of Chaos. I think something it was. like that. Yeah. All right. And then um, they had the the orcs faction, the orcs and goblins faction one, which is, of course, not what they wanted to have happen. So you had like this uh, this sort of orc wa- war boss just sort of waltz in at the end and kill uh, Valton or kill uh, who was it? Um, Archaon right at the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But no, we're 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 committed. We're committed to letting the cards and the fans, you know, play things out as they may and and reacting to that. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the universe and what it is and how it's going to be a part of the player experience. So let's talk about the mechanics of the game now and some of the rules and things. Um First off the bat, let's talk about customizing the gangs. There is a lot to parse through, and I think that is really exciting. I know some people that might be a little intimidating, but it's really not that bad. It's very, very simple. 
But I want you guys to kind of explain and describe the process in which you created such a kind of like we said earlier, such a role playing game experience, because like I said, a lot of games, Games Workshop is a great example. It's, uh, you know, here's the list of models and then here are the items and then maybe some magic spells. That's it. It's not really unique in the role-playing aspect where like this is your unique character with your unique abilities it's here's a guy with a gun and an armor save go so what did you what like what facilitated you guys to create a more of a role-playing customizable experience as opposed to here's a data sheet pick what you want play a game cliff you want to take this one well it's not a part of things i've been involved heavily in the design process uh but yeah i, I just do want to add that I, I i'm the kind of person who wants to customize things and have my own characters when i when i had my space marine army that was based off of blood angels it wasn't the blood angels it was the the blood wasps and i had a whole backstory on how their their chapter came about in my own color scheme and and that wasn't uh, Sanguinis or whatever his character was in the, uh, it's been so long since I played 40k. Uh, I gave the character my own name for it. So being able to do that in a way that's beyond just sort of the colors that you pick for your models and the names you write down is, is really exciting and something I definitely wanted to see doable in gangs in the Undercity. So as far as uh, creating your own gangs from the from mechanical perspective, you essentially pick one of the existing gangs as a template, and then you can customize quite a bit on that. And the ways in which you can customize things is different uh, based on the different gang templates that you select. So there's some uh, semblance of game balance in there, so you can't just go completely all in on, on one specific thing that, that wouldn't necessarily make a narrative sense, but would also... Just, I, I can't think of a perfect initial example, but if you... Well, like um, if you didn't have any breachers, for example, um, that that would hinder you quite a bit in the game. Yeah, breachers being the characters who can hack the computer systems for the most part and uh, do some other neat things. But I just want to echo what, what Cliff said. Like, we did this because we wanted to, right? <laughs> we did this because when we play Games Workshop stuff, we play other minis games, that's what I found fun. Right. So when I, you know, had my my chaos army, um, that was my primary army when I used to play. And when when my characters did something great, then that character would get a paint job. Right. Uh, You know, and then when that character did really good, you know, they had a paint job, then that character would get a name. Right. And so, like, I had these two characters, which, you know, Jurgen the Mad and Corvus Underhand, which I'll still (laughs) remember, you know, like all these years later, because these were the guys that kicked for me when it counted. Um, You know, and they were just minis. Right. But but what I found is just I loved (laughs) I loved pretending that it mattered that they have names. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and so I just I found that if that's what I find fun about this, I'm not looking to innovate the war game industry. Right. Uh, I want to do what is fun and I want to take all these experiences that were fun when when I play war games and I want to replicate that. Right. So that's that's essentially where it came from. If there's if there's something that can matter and it's fun that it matters that's, I think, a good a good goal for us to aim for. Yeah, I agree with that. That's one of the big reasons I like skirmish games. Like, I still play big, you know, 8th, ninth edition games, but yeah. it's so hard to find um, uniqueness in a giant, you know, I play orcs, so I have, like, like, 500 models. It's really hard for one of those orcs to stand out and be special 
But when you have a skirmish game and you only have six or seven models, it's much, much easier to have like a name and a paint job and an actual identity as opposed to, you know, you're kind of a wheel in the cog. So if you die, I don't care if you kill someone. I, you know, thanks. I appreciate you, but we're, we got to keep going here. <laughs> sure. I just recently got um, somebody who was tweeting out about uh, they can't wait to get our minis because they just realized that they don't have to paint them all the same. Right. It's like if you're used to, if you're used to, a, if you're used to an army based game, right? Like part of, part of it looking nice on the table yeah. is that, you know, they all look the same. They all have a uniformity to them. Um, but obviously if you only have six or eight people in a gang, you can afford to make them all look a little bit unique in their own way. I didn't you know, even think about that. That's such a great point to bring up. Yeah. I like that. Th- that was also something I enjoyed about about uh, being an orc player as well. Uh, the my, my orc army is actually the, my only 40k army that I still am in possession of and hasn't gone on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I'll have, never get rid of orcs. They're too I, funny. I have a garage full of stuff that my wife, like every once in a while, she'll just say, like, is it time to sell all this stuff yet? I'm like, stop <laughs> it! Stop it! <laughs> it us. Stop talking about this! <laughs> I think you know, my orcs are like orcs of shame because I remember the terrible things they didn't do when I needed <laughs> them to because it's like I need, I need you to save on this six up and then I need you to yeah. pass another six up. And you're like, you get that first six. And you're like, here we go. We're going to do it. And then you roll a five and you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, you know what, like, like when you get, when you get rolls and you need sixes, you know, and something amazing happens though. Uh, that's that's why Jurgen the Mad has has a name because he he went up against um, oh I don't remember who was that uh, who was that dark elf character that was just such a bad <laughs> I don't remember anyway he went up against that guy and, and won and I was like oh my god you're getting a you're getting a name you're getting a paint job you're getting a permanent place you're getting one of those flying zinchy things and like, you know <laughs> yeah you're getting the whole the whole deal I'm gonna base my army around you because you were bad. In, in one game. Yeah. But that, and that's the feeling that we want everybody to have. We want everybody to feel like their characters are, are fun and bad. And even if they lose, have the ability to make them better so that they won't lose next time. So based on this conversation, what, and you guys know what this answer is. So we're going to help the people who've never seen the game, who haven't read the rule book. What are some of the customizable opportunities that a player has to make this gang template, their own gang, not just, you know, gang number one, gang number two, and, you know, so on and so forth. They can actually own it and identify with it. Uh, I want to give Cliff a chance to, I could talk about everything all day. So if Cliff wants to take this one, I'll- I'll I'm just going to jump out and say the gang template that you pick, each of those, um, it's sort of based on another gang, but each one serves- uh, sort of a gang archetype role that you can pick from. And that's going to provide you with, uh, I guess, what your bosses are like and uh, some special rules and limitations. Uh, from there, though, things are, are largely pretty widely customizable using a certain resource called fortune, which is basically just your points that you get to spend um, to increase things. It's not like a points in uh, to measure of its battle value uh, because bosses are actually free because you kind of need a boss to base your gang around. That's not an optional thing you buy. Uh, whereas uh, some of the additional characters uh, do cost more and cost more based on the equipment that you give them or some of the special abilities you might purchase for them. 
Yeah, so like every gang profile, um, and again, I think I want to make this clear. These are just profiles, right? So every one of our gangs, the 12 gangs, has a profile, but you can call your gang whatever you want to. So you show up at a tournament and you say like, hey, I'm playing, um, you know, the the Frozen clown shoes, right? Uh, and then that's fine. <laughs> call your gang whatever you want. You'll just have to say it's based on the Flaming Skulls template, right? Okay, no okay. problem. Um, but each template has a... Uh, wait a minute. I'm still yeah. hung up on why that isn't uh, based on the troop. Uh, sure. <laughs> the frozen clown shoes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We're not here to judge your your, your choices, right? No, um, no. I'm just curious how that came about. So that's I was just looking on. at the flaming skulls. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, when, when you choose a, a profile, it'll have uh, restrictions, right? So sometimes you can only have certain species in that gang. Um, and then you'll choose your gang abilities. So, for example, the Flaming Skulls have, oh, man, they have like 12 different abilities that you can choose. Uh, burn Baby Burn, for example, costs one fortune. And that allows you once per turn when a model spends grit, they can make a melee attack against all units within their reach. You know, so like if you if you pick these gang abilities, it'll apply to every ganger in your gang uh, and every gang template has a collection of gang abilities that like taken in total make each gang feel very very different uh, although and I wanted to say this too one of my huge huge uh, design goals for the game was to make everything balanced right we I hate having factions that are unbalanced to each other so that was one of the things that we were very, very passionate about. I'm um, glad to hear that. I appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, from from a Games Workshop fan, uh, <laughs> right? Somebody who loves Game Games Workshop. This is not always their 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 forte, but uh, that's okay. I, I still love them. Uh, but yeah, you choose your gang abilities, and then you also have gang treasure. Like so, for example, every gang has their own unique special items that you can choose to to enter into your gang. Um, and then you will pay for your various gangers, right? Every uh, different level of ganger, uh, boss, enforcer, soldier, rookie, they all have a different fortune cost uh, and they all start off with different, you know, uh, attribute levels. Um, and then basically you will customize each one of those gangers as well. You'll choose their species, you'll choose their skill sets, uh, their weapons, their, you know, their attributes, etc. So by the time you're done, even if I had five different Flaming Skulls gangs, they could all, you know, thematically be maybe similar, but they will all feel very, very different and unique. That is really exciting because that's one of the big things I love about role-playing games is I get to play the game structure the way I want. Right. It's not the case with all war games or just games in general, and that's kind of the big reason people will gravitate towards a specific, you know, games workshop terms, an army or a faction, because, hey, I want to be super tough to kill. Okay, I'm going to play Death Guard. Oh, I want to shoot people a lot. Okay, I want to play Tau. But once you're in that infrastructure, you can't, like, customize the Tau other than the weapon profiles you're given. Yeah, and and often you sort of get uh, pigeonholed into one particular build as well, just because it's competitive. And we were really pushing back on on that as well. Okay. So you, you talked about fortune and that's kind of the the point system in which you build a gang. What's your like standard number and like how big is that? So if, if your sta- I think your standard number in the game is like 
30 or 40 or 50 or something like that. Like how many models is that? How long of a game is that? Uh, generally speaking, um, and again, like you, you can totally, you know, buck this norm if you want to. Uh, but there, there's problems when you sort of go too far one way or the other, but feel free to experiment. But usually that will end up being six to eight models. Um, which is, you know, that's, that's just how we've seen it play out. You could totally make five models or 10 models. You'll just be, you know, either very tall or very uh, flat, depending on your structure. Um, and usually a game will last, uh, it depends. If, if, you're, if you're experienced players, right, you know how to play. And if you're in person, then games only last about an hour. Um, if you are not experienced, right, or if you're playing over the internet, um, We've been playing, we've been using Tabletop Simulator, uh, if your listeners are familiar with that. And uh, because because of the nature of it, right, it's not just grabbing it and, and moving a thing or rolling a dice. It You know, there's a lot of other moving mechanical parts um, that can sometimes take a little bit longer. But yeah, an hour is what we're what we shoot for. So that's that's also nice because six models, six to eight models is not a lot to paint, which is great. Um but I also wanted to ask how someone would play, say, for example, you, know, you get the rule book. I want to play the troop, but there's no models for it. Like, what is your uh, rule set on, like, bringing models from other games to represent a, a gang? We've decided to not put any rules on that. Um, we love our models. We think our models are, are quite fun and amazing. Um, but ultimately, we're not going to be the gatekeepers of what people can afford or, you know, what people, we, we want uh, essentially people to model their gang, right? We want people to bring whatever they want to, to the table. And we want to create an environment where people are taking pictures uh, of how innovative and fun these gangs are, right? Like you've seen the games workshop armies that are basically just like repainted um, you know, plastic toy bugs, right? I, I want people to have an incredibly fun time and good time, you know, f- with the same freedom uh, to be creative as we had. So yeah, we don't have any rules for, um, you know, what models you bring to the table. That may change down the road. I can't see it changing and I can't think of a reason um, other than we just love our models. But for right now, uh, we don't have any rules on what you can bring and, and what models you use. And i got to say, I'm really looking forward to my Gangs of the Undercity models that will be coming in. But I am totally going to be uh, breaking out my 40K orcs and uh, and having a 40K orc gang of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems like it would be too much fun to not do. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I, I, I thought about that because I was like, some of these gangs don't have models. And I know there's people who I've already asked, like, well, how does this work? And in my head, I'm like, I kind of want to steal some like multiple models from different game systems and kind of yeah. mash them together. Absolutely. And make I want to see like, those models, right? Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah. I want people to be tweeting and, and putting on Instagram and Facebook like, hey, I kit bashed this, right, for my for my salvagers army, right? If mm-hmm. you have some old uh, Games Workshop squat models from 40K, right, yep. those are perfect for the salvagers you know go ahead and throw those in there yeah that's what i was thinking of is doing like the the squats and then like the fire slayers from age of sigmar and like kind of meshing them together yes that would be that'd be pretty cool absolutely absolutely so still talking about these gangs because there's 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 so much i'm really excited to to talk to you guys about this game because there's there's so much to it let's talk about the positions you said there's a boss there's an enforcer there's a soul or yeah soldier rookie um, not only are there like ranks 
within the gang system, but there's different positions because you were saying there's magic, there's hacking. I'm assuming there's like people who are like melee assassins and like weapon, like shooting, like snipers. Like tell us a little bit about that universe of like, hey, I want to be like a shooty gang or I want to be a melee gang or I want to have like hackers and magic. Like what, what are the, what are the things I can do with my gang in terms of like the customization, like positional options? Uh, that's all there. <laughs> Um, in, in the games that I've played and uh, in, in some cases uh, where people were customizing their own gangs for some of them other than were more other times just more just trying something out with uh, with with uh, opti here uh, I've seen a lot of variety amongst that you can you can hang out and snipe you can creep around you can charge up and bash something in melee you can you can take advantage of the the uh, terrain and the environment by uh, by hacking the the different uh, computer connections called C links, which can be can provide all sorts of different tactical in game uh, benefits, uh, such as uh, harming your opponents or providing you some sort of bonus or even bringing in um, a freebooter, which is like a freelance mercenary to help you and your team. So there's there's so much variety on the types of uh, tactics and approaches that you can do, and that's not even touching on some of the weird the weird rules that that the troop gets 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 around to <laughs> yeah so like we don't um we try not to pigeonhole any, anybody into like playing one particular style but um we have six different species um dwarf human elf orc goblin and yetin and the yetin are essentially like the, the big folk um and and all of those have you know it's not just like a dwarf gets plus two, you know, to their brawn or whatever, right? You have uh, different choices for each species. Um, humans have the option of being adaptive, trained, versatile, or controlling, for example. And all of those, you know, you, you pick one of those and that's what your character gets, right? So not your elves aren't going to be pigeonholed into, um, you know, being your ranged attack and your orcs aren't going to be pigeonholed into being you know, melee, but everybody's going to have it, their own, you know, unique feel to them. But after you choose your species, you do have skill sets, and this is what you were what you were getting at. Like, what's their role on the team? Um, we have brawlers, who are your hand to hand folks. We have breachers, who are your your hackers, right? Like they'll they'll be able to do things to uh, opponents' drones, or they'll be able to hack into the cyberlinks, like Cliff was saying. Um, you have the chosen, which are sort of like a uh, religious uh, magic users like clerics um, in some regard, and they're going to focus more on uh, crowd control and healing. You have gunners who are obviously, uh, this is going to be your ranged attack specialists. Um, you have witches who are basically your straight up arcane uh, damage dealers. Uh, and then you have Yojin who are, for lack of a better term, um, uh, like, like, um, like magic martial artists, <laughs> essentially. Uh, wow. And and then you would choose, uh, or I guess, you know, if you've seen yeah, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Thank you. Airbender. I was like struggling with that. Uh, yeah, if you've seen Avatar The Last Airbender, right, they're basically like benders. So you have uh, air, earth, fire, water, oh, no. and void benders. Oh, um, that's all I'm going to play. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and, and they have, you know, uh, each one of the Yojins have like a sort of different... Um, different bent to them, right? So the fire would be like a more damage dealing and the, the earth would be more defensive, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my gosh, that sounds so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then, you know, again, even if you don't choose any of those, um, you know, if you just wanted to run like a normal dude, give him a, uh, you know, a brawler, give him a weapon, you have other enhancements, you know, that you can use to sort of make them like a Batman type, right? Like he's got all these utilities, you know, all these different arrows, for example, if you want to make like a green arrow type team. Oh, uh, okay. know, so yeah, there's, there's all sorts of other cool stuff that you can do. Uh, and there, there's sort of sub uh, subclasses or sub skill sets. Um, abolitionists. We, we mentioned the uh, the Neverkin, right? Who are sort of anti-slavery, right? So you have the abolitionists who are sort of um, they have all these different uh, anti-slave sort of things, where like they can't be held down, they can't be uh, they can't be chained up, they can't be dazed or immobilized, or the assassin enhancements. Um, you know, make making your character. Uh, more deadly, you know, for for one shots, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there's a ton of poisoners or criminal operatives or you know, uh, stealthy folks. So, Man. yeah, we have okay. a lot of options essentially <laughs> beyond <laughs> those those uh, six or so. Yeah, and that's what's exciting. I cannot wait for the RPG. That is making me so excited now. <laughs> talking about just this game system. Uh, let's let's move on and talk a little bit about magic. Um, most people are used to like psychic abilities. If you're talking in games workshop speak, obviously sure. if you've played uh, Warhammer fantasy or age of Sigmar, magic is a huge thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a fantasy magical battle system. What, what is the magic system in this? Is it, is it similar to anything we've ever seen? Is it unique? Like what, what makes the magic here its own, you know, thing inside of, you know, the gangs of Undercity? Uh, we have a, I'm sure that, you know, if you if you look hard enough, you're going to find something similar. Um, but we break magic down into three different uh, three different pillars. You have sacred magic, which is like, um, you know, the followers of the gods. Right. Uh, they, they have a connection with their god. They're like borrowing magic, essentially. Um, then you have the arcane magic users, which are the ones who use formulas to manipulate the magic that's, you know, all around them. And then you have the sublime magic users who are basically using the magic that's inherent to their own body. So all of those manifest themselves in slightly different ways. Um, and and I, I could nerd out about this and tell you how this all relates back to the uh, musica universalis uh, and, and the sort of Gnostic uh, thought processes that went on in the Middle Ages about uh, the different sort of music of the universe, but I'm not going to nerd out about that any further. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's essentially um, what our magic is based on, right? You've got your, more or less, I'm going to be crude with it, but you've got your um, magic martial artists, you've got your um, clerics, and you've got your wizards. Okay. That's uh, that's something I think most people can understand, like without incredibly simplistic. Yeah. And I hate even saying it that simply. But yeah, that's pretty much what we have. And in playing the game, you've got your 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 people who are able to cast spells. Uh, it's an ability they can use as part of their action. And there's a certain thing that happens. Uh, they roll dice if it's an attack power or their opponent might be forced to roll dice to resist it, depending on what it is. There's a wide variety of effects. Uh, and then uh, there's also the factor of grit, which uh, we haven't really touched on, but it's it's something that's both a victory condition and a luck resource. And the magicians can often spend grit to get much greater effects out of their their spells. When it comes to the the the, the, the people with sublime abilities, oftentimes those are uh, more passive as well, such as you might be able to move faster or hit harder. 
as opposed to triggering a certain ability. But they have they have some unique uh, things they can do with that as well. Well, that's a great segue. I wanted to bring up grit because that's something that seems to be very critical to the game as a whole. And I'd love for you guys to explain what it is and how it's a resource in the game. Yeah, if there's if there's one innovation that we've done, um, it's the grit system, and that is essentially representing your gang's will to fight. Right? It's your sort of uh, stick-to-itiveness or resolve or or even anger. Right? It's whatever keeps your gang fighting. Uh, so you get a certain amount of grit at the beginning of the game, and you can use that. You can spend your grit to enhance some certain abilities or give yourself a reroll on a dice like which is great because right what's the most frustrating thing when you're playing uh, war games is when you absolutely know you should win this but you get a bad roll right <laughs> so so get a you know use a grit you know get the reroll but the bad thing is uh, is is grit is so powerful it's very tempting to use a lot but every round uh, or or through other events in the game you will lose grit and the bottom line is when your gang loses all of its grit, you lose. That's the losing condition or the winning condition in the game is when the other gang loses all of its grit. Interesting. So you can use grit depending on, like you were saying, in magical situations. Uh, what are some other ways a player can use grit uh, just in the game? Uh, well, like, for example, um, the abolitionists, we were talking about those enhancements. Uh, the abolitionist has a... Uh, an ability called guide and you can spend one grit as an interrupt to treat all allied models within six inches as if they had taken a movement action uh, for active cover, right? So depending on how you build your gang, you might have certain abilities that just say, Hey, spend a grit and you know, you get this particular benefit. So in, in that particular case, spend a grit and every of your, uh, all the allied gangers within six inches have active cover. Right, so like there's there's a bunch of things. Every spell, for example, has something that you can spend grit on. Um, most enhancements, uh, most gear have something that you can spend grit on. Uh, and then of course you can do you can do rerolls. But yeah, <laughs> grit is <laughs> is something that you, that you can basically use to um, to fix a problem. Right, like if something just didn't go your way, you can sort of uh, fix it. Or you can do something spectacular with it. I love how grit works as a um, as the victory condition aspect, but also as a currency you can spend to fuel abilities or improve your abilities or or, or rerolls and things like that. Because um, it, it factory in is your gang's will to fight. You know, so often as a um, as a gamer, you can put you can have miniatures fighting each other and sure that's fun see who wins but but it feels a lot more fun when it feels like they're fighting for something and i thought grit is a very um very game mechanics way of representing uh, just the will of your gang your stake in there and how you tactically use it to either burn through it and push for victory or try to just hang back and outlast and, and rely on you know and rely on things that fall and 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 hold on to more of reserves it's a it provides a lot of very interesting tactical or strategic elements to the game that I have not seen in any other miniatures game. Yeah, so so yeah, grit basically what it does is activates your abilities, which are all particular to those particular abilities. You know, you'll you'll see them listed. You know, spend grit to do X. Uh, but other than that, in general, you can re-roll up to three dice on a single roll 
you can make an opponent reroll a certain a single die, uh, or you can take interrupt actions. Like, um, for example, if you have gone on Overwatch, right, and you want and somebody's entered your Overwatch range, you would spend a grit to be able to shoot them or shoot them twice if you spend more grit, etc. All right, so let's move on to the next part of the game, which I think is really interesting, and I'm obviously a big cyberpunk fan. So let's talk about breaching, which is also hacking for those of you who aren't sure what that means, but you're basically accessing terminals and you're doing things for yourself or to your opponent. Can you tell us a little bit about like wh what is breaching and how does it affect the game as a whole? Because it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's essentially like hacking, right? The the world of Neo Babylon um, is sort of being connected through what's called the cyber cybernet, uh, and you have these cyberlinks, which are these sort of uh, ATM-like machines in the Undercity that function as sort of 3D printers. And um, you know how, like in Cyberpunk 2077, you've got these vending machines that are just everywhere, right? They're just so ubiquitous. Uh, cyberlinks are a bit like that. They're just there so that the elites don't have to bother uh, coming into the undercity to do anything, right? Just to send these machines down there uh, to give the people what they need and, and to take their money. Uh, so what breachers do is they breach the, uh, the firewalls, essentially. Uh, they bust through the defenses in these uh, cyberlinks, and they are able to manipulate uh, the cybernet from inside of these things. So in our game what that looks like in, uh, in, in terms of turf is every gang wants to control a cyberlink, right? If you have control of a cyberlink, that means that your people can get fed. That means that you have access to the cybernet, et cetera, et cetera. So when we're playing a game of Gangs of the Undercity, controlling a cyberlink is actually going to be a really, really good thing because it's going to give you, uh, it's going to be, give you a way to renew your grit every turn. Right? So if you control a cyberlink, you get plus one grit for every cyberlink you control. But it's also going to enable you to do other cool stuff, like you can um, medicate one of your teammates, or you can get a free snack, <laughs> right? or you can um, arm their security right? and then turn it on your, uh, on your opponents. And then otherwise, if you're not engaging with a cyberlink, your breacher can uh, do certain direct attacks against the other gangers, like they can blind them or it can mislead them, uh, you know, or sort of make them afraid or something like that. So all sorts of exploits that your breacher can run. Yeah. From game mechanic stands point they're they're almost like a different kind of spell caster, but they're not using magic there. They're hacking people's devices and communications. So we could do things like help with targeting with acquire target or, uh, confuse orders is a really useful one. Cause you can, uh, force your opponent's models to move around um you could, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that 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 could be very bad especially if you're trying to set up for a charge right <laughs> or if you get moved off of a off of a a, a bridge <laughs> oh wow oh wow <laughs> which, for the most part which have been some of the funniest moments <laughs> in games is when somebody's crossing a bridge up high and you're just like confuse orders and it's like no <laughs> You guy just takes a flying leap off a bridge, yeah. 
But yeah, from from a game mechanic standpoint, breachers uh, they they're there to to muck with things and, and cause chaos with the opposing team, and they're also there to help take advantage of make the most of advantage of what are essentially core objective points that the gangs are fighting over within their turf. Can you win the game with a team of uh, breachers? Is that possible? Yeah. Or do you need like combat? Uh, most most gangers include at least one breacher, like a breaching specialist, uh, but they might have some additional backup. And yeah, some lean into it more than others. Some barely have any ability and are at a distinct disadvantage in certain scenarios. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you don't have any breachers, then your opponent has a pretty distinct advantage, um, especially in the grit production area, right? But a team of all breachers could actually work uh, because breachers also have access to drones, right? So the, some of the drones can do a lot of the heavy lifting as far as getting in the battle while the other team is sort of being led around or being debuffed by their breachers. And controlling all of the sea links um, in, a, in a particular scenario is almost always going to give you a huge leg up. Interesting. Okay. That's that's really cool. And again, sea links, they're, they're like objective markers in most other... Uh, war game situations if you were to compare them mechanically but they're ones that can give you stuff or even attack your opponents if you if you can ask them nicely <laughs> how we many of those are a, on the map at a given time uh, it depends on the scenario um like one four, scenario, typically yeah one scenario i think doesn't have oh no they all have at least two i think um but yeah they go up to i think the, the biggest we have is eight yeah but that, in general that would be yeah for a more uh c-link heavy scenario <laughs> yeah but yeah two to four seems to be the general range that i've seen hit the table in most cases and and that's and that's kind of a big deal because you don't know when you create your gang you don't know which scenario you're going to be playing so you it really does sort of force you to think uh outside of just making one kind of gang if you end up making a a melee heavy gang and you don't have any breachers and then you end up uh, in a scenario that requires you to uh, collect the, the sea links, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So let's, let's use that as a segue and talk about scenarios. What are some of the scenarios in the game, uh, you know, elevator pitch and how do you determine which scenario you're going to play? Cause you know, at this point we've talked about the gangs, we've built our gang we're ready to go. And now we're about to figure out what we're going to fight over and where we're going to fight. Sure, I'll start with the basic simple one. Scenario one is gang war, and it's a straight-up gang fight. You just go and fight each other and try to win. There's there's only a couple of cyberlinks out there that you can take advantage of, but they're not going to do anything extra for you besides what your breachers can pull off. Uh, but ultimately, it's about just kicking each other's and the way it works, it sets up uh, your deployment zones. Each player takes a turn placing their pieces of terrain and then their models. And then each gang starts with 16 grit. And at the end of every round, each player loses three grit. And you play until essentially the gang's wiped or somebody runs out of grit. That, that's, that's a quick and simple, the, the simplest scenario out of all of them. But there are quite a few of them in the book, and there's 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 a number of variations. Each one, each scenario has its deployment, uh, grit rules, and um, victory conditions, along with some other variations that that might be scenario specific. But yeah, you have you have defense scenarios, you have uh, like assassinate one particular character scenarios, you have scenarios that are basically like um, control certain. Uh, 
certain terrain features. Uh, <laughs> there's certain terrain features um, that are uh, that represent like junk piles, right? So in, in one of these particular scenarios, you have to run around digging through junk piles, right, and rolling on salvage <laughs> tables to see if you find the thing that you're looking for. Uh, so yeah, there, there's all sorts of different scenarios. So let's talk, we've talked a little bit about the grit and the scenarios. So what is the like winning scenario? Cause we know that the losing scenario, like you can just lose your grit and you're done. How do you win? If you're like trying, if you're trying to actually win the game instead of stall the game, like what do you do? Is it based on each scenario? Yeah. Each scenario has a, has a win condition. Um, like the last player with grit remaining wins. Like that's, that's almost in all, in every single scenario, um, you know, or if you get rid of all the, uh, that's gang war, for example, but um, not so safe house, which is the next scenario. Um, you have to defend a particular uh, place that you decide on early on. Uh, so you have to basically like stay in that place. Um, let me see. But again, most, most of the time, almost just to make it simple, um, almost every single scenario basically is who ends up with the most grit or who ends up with not, you know, yeah, that, that might sound like the victory conditions are very similar from one scenario to another, but, but how each uh, scenario awards or takes away grit largely influences and affects that. So for instance, the assassination one, your goal is to, your main goal is to defeat your opposing gang's boss. You still get a bunch of grit at the beginning. It still starts going away every round. Um, but if you manage to take out your your opponent's gang boss, you get such a big bonus amount of grit that you're almost guaranteed to win the game. You could ignore that and, and play it out another way and protect your gang boss and, and, and play, as you said, more of a, a stalling game where you're, you're letting you're kind of playing out the clock and trying to uh, try to draw them into spending their grit. Or maybe you might just try to take out all their opponent's models. There, there's multiple paths to victory, but the, the scenario rules greatly influence uh, what would be the most significant way to get to that path to victory for the most part? Yeah, like in the scavenger hunt one, right? You gain two grit whenever you investigate a salvage point, and then you gain four grit when you, you know, when you find the MacGuffin you're looking for, and your opponent loses four grit if you discover the MacGuffin, right? So, so ultimately, grit is still the deciding factor, like like Cliff said, for for winning or losing. But how that happens uh, is different for every scenario. That's very cool. Okay. I like that. It's very interesting that you've got mechanics for winning and mechanics, for, a resource for losing that you can spend in a dire situation at the risk of you could be accelerating your loss condition or if you spend your resource and you are successful with your dice roll and you take out a threat. Now your opponent's on the back foot. I, I like that kind of risk and reward aspect yeah. of using that and, resource. And generally speaking, you're probably not going to win any games if you don't spend any of your grit. By playing it safe and just hoarding your grit, it, it, we we never see that go well. You'll get rolled. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, that was actually my next question is I know like some people like to play a very tanky, stally, systematic approach, and they might just say, hey, why would I ever spend grit? But you know, if you need to spend grit to succeed, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they would need to spend grit in order to stay in the game and not die to activate their most powerful survive the onslaught of of, of attacks abilities. Yeah, well, and 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 a, and a tanky type 
gang would be spending grit to tank, right? So like they would be defensively using their grit. You know, it's it's you're still always going to be using grit to activate your abilities. Um, you know, and just just hoarding grit is just it's 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 an option. Don't get me wrong. Like if you can pull mm-hmm. it off, you know, more power to you. But like, if your opponent is spending grit, they will be able to overcome anything that you do if you're not. There, there was one game that I played in a sort of a a, a pre um, a play test level tournament that uh, I ended up ended up in a situation where like. Yeah, I'm screwed. But if I can stay alive long enough, I can at least eke out a tie. And <laughs> uh, I, I was barely able to do so. My gang yeah. definitely did came out worse <laughs> out of that battle. But uh, <laughs> interesting. Okay, that sounds cool. So let's kind of go back up top and talk a little bit about your Kickstarter. And you said that the Kickstarter box comes with the Flaming Skulls and the Valkers. So. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what now? Oh, well, first of all, tell us, can you still get it if you're listening to this? Because I believe your Kickstarter is over. But what what is the like um, the matchup between Flaming Skulls and Valkyrs? Because a lot of people are thinking, you know, you have like good guys and bad guys. If you buy like um, Assault on Black Reach from Games Workshop, you got the Space Marines and the Orcs. So clearly the Space Marines are the good and the Orcs are the bad. You know, they each have, you know, like the Space Marines are more shooty and the Orcs are more melee. So you, you have like two different play styles and two different affiliations. If someone's looking at this with a friend and they're like, hey, you know, like what what do these two offer me so that, you know, I can be the good guys or I can be the bad guys or I'm the shooty army. I'm the melee army, you know, like that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, you're not going to get a good guy versus bad guy. Um, every gang sees themselves as the good guys. Uh, and in reality, most of the gangs are are the bad guys. <laughs> right? So I, uh, that's actually one of the things I really like about about Warhammer. Right? Is they 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 write their codexes based on the perspective of that faction. So like, you're never going to get a gang that thinks they're they're the bad guys. And I really really appreciate that. So we sort of build our gangs that way. But the Valkyrs are are an all elf gang, and so they're uh, and and they came from the uh, <laughs> there's a, a an elven country to to the south of Neo Babylon called Valbroselion, and they uh, were the military. Uh, they were like an elite military group that got exiled for being too brutal. All right, so the Valkyrs fled uh, to Neo Babylon and and set up shop in the Undercity. So you're going to get a lot of very military themed uh, elf action, right? They're like they're brutal, they're quick, they're they're destructive, um, but they're they're pretty straightforward. The Flaming Skulls are not all elves, right? So you've got um, ogres, you've got uh, orcs, you've got goblins, you know, they're just a, they're just a motley mix. Um, and a lot of their stuff has to do with fire and blowing stuff up. Uh, so it, it really just depends. Like, do you, do you like blowing stuff up and, and having a motley crew or do you like a tight regiment, right? That probably all, all have the same colors on and they all look like elves and they're all, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it so just really depends. No good versus bad, but we do sort of have a, the order and the chaos factions. Yeah. Well, a couple of order or chaos factions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, you have the Lawjax, right? Um, and we we try to do this thing where, like, um, you know, if you're if you're representing the man, right, uh, you don't you don't get nice things. So the Lawjax are basically like the straightforward faction that don't get names. 
uh, <laughs> and they, they, they're all armored up, but like they're super bad in that, like their, their, uh, defense is through the roof, right? They have access to better weaponry than everybody else because like they're the official faction of Neo-Babylon. Um, but the shadow cast, right? Like they don't need all that stuff. They can just kill you with one blow because they have poison, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the bulls of heaven, they're, they're, they're the, uh, the gigantic people, right? So they're always going to hit harder, uh, but maybe their, their models cost a little bit more. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, we're going to start to wrap things up. We've kind of hit that hour mark where people start to taper off. But um, last couple questions for you guys. And then I definitely want you to plug this so people can find you. But what are some of your favorite things about this game? We've, we've talked, we could talk for a long time, but there's, there's so many different aspects that are very intriguing and very unique. And what, like, what's some of like the, just the big thing you're like, this is like my favorite thing about the game, you know, whatever it might be, because, I think everyone who has the chance to try this will find something really unique for them. And I think that's a big selling point. I'm going to say something really dumb. (laughs) 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 Um, My, my favorite thing about the game, uh, aside from mechanically, like I like grit a lot. I'll I'll just say that ahead of time. Uh, But my favorite thing in, in going through the Kickstarter and doing this whole process is uh, our Griff models. We have pets uh, in the game and they're called Griff's. And they're essentially um, small little like dog-sized griffins that are various mashups of four-legged creatures and birds, right? So you have the the croyote uh, and the um, – oh, shoot, I can't think uh, – uh, the peregrine fox uh, and the valraven, right? And you have all of these really cute models – for these pets that are that are mashups of different uh, types of griffins. So those are my favorite things. It's stupid, uh, and I included them because I personally thought that they were really cute and fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my that was my thing that I just wanted to do, and and I did it. The eagle, right, which is a, a cross between a beagle and an eagle. Uh, they're just, right, they're just they're just amazing. The parakeet, uh, the raccoon yeah, I just they're just they're just hilarious and cute, and and I can't wait to start painting them. I guess for me, um, my favorite part of the game would just be, I think the overall overarching attitude. Just the gangs have so much personality. The the setting is very rich and interesting. I mean, despite being you know essentially inspired by hey, this is this is the Shadowrun gang miniatures game that we wanted to buy from Catalyst. Uh, it's it, it's 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 taken on a life of its own with a really deep and interesting setting. And in the gameplay, there's just so much variety that you can do to express yourself. Um, and, and have the different kinds of gang uh, gangs that you want to create and play with. Uh, there's all these different paths to victory. And it just also in the book, when you read it, I mean, the, the part about having painted miniatures that hit the table, it doesn't tell you you're not allowed to play if you don't have painted miniatures. It tells you you can paint your miniatures or not, but miniatures that are painted well have better dice luck. <laughs> right? Um, and it it just communicates both, uh, yeah, a sense of humor as well as it doesn't have to have this sort of um, stranglehold on making sure people are buying the in-company models and doing things a certain way so that money only flows towards 
the top. You know, everyone listening probably knows the company I'm critiquing most here, but uh, there are probably multiple <laughs> companies that have that approach. Um, yeah, just the, the openness and willingness to let you show up with your orcs if you want to and, and call that your gang. Why not? Uh, yeah, we don't want to be gatekeepers so, of people's fun. Yeah, and on so many levels, just the, the overall attitude of the company and the game, um, it, it's it's fun and lets you approach it how you want to. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I like the idea that if I want to get into the game, I can buy the rule book and then buy some models and then kit bash some other models and then go. I'm not, like you said, I'm not gate kept because, you know, I don't have X, Y, or Z. I can just begin the experience with my friends. Uh, so before we get into our last question, can you tell me a little bit about the campaign? Cause I know it exists, but I don't know anything about it. I'd love to know that because I'm a very campaign friendly guy. I like going to my local shop and playing with friends, you know, week in a week out and creating that, that narrative where, you know, Jim Bob became, you know, a, like he evolved from a grunt and I decided, you know, he, this guy needs to get a rank improvement because he killed my opponent's boss and that's 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 worth it. You know, he he earned his his right to stand among the elite in my gang. Uh, yeah. Campaign play is is we have tournament play, right? We have competitive play um, built in. Right. You can just have a certain amount of fortune, build your gang. And, and it sort of stays that way. Um, you know, you can play other people with the same gang over and over again. Uh, so we want that to be the case, too. But also we've built the game to we've built a game with campaign play in mind, right? So you are going to start off with a piece of turf that's going to give you certain benefits. And then every time you play a session in a campaign, you're going to be fighting over a piece of turf. And if you win, you get that piece of turf and it allows you to have certain benefits. Um, and then also as you progress every game, whether you win or lose, you're going to get a certain number of uh a fortune, a certain amount of respect, um, which is, is sort of a, an extra uh, an extra currency for campaign play, uh, and and basically you're just your your gang is going to grow over time, um, however you see fit. And so yeah, campaign play is going to be is going to be pretty rad. We have a huge amount of um, neighborhoods right that you're going to be fighting over, so they all have their own uh, unique flavor to them. Um, so like, for example, you have um, a surveillance network in one of these neighborhoods. You have a chop shop in another. You have a morgue. You have a taxi dispatch, a kebab shop, right? All these different um, things that, that your characters are going to be fighting over and give you different benefits when you, when you conquer them. And you'd asked earlier about how you go about choosing which scenario you're going to play. Uh, that would be different depending on the tournament or whatever you feel like in the moment. But if you're doing campaign play, these scenarios are, you have a limited sort of range of scenarios that you roll from or choose from uh, depending on what turf you're fighting over. Usually, usually uh, figured out by drawing cards, right? So you, you have a deck of cards and you draw cards and that'll kind of tell you what neighborhood you're going to be fighting. Over. Ooh, Okay. All right. I love that. Man, There's, this is great. This has been phenomenal. I can't wait to see it in action. Um, but we're going to wrap things up because I know that we've all got things to do. It's holiday season. And I want you guys to plug where can we find you guys? Where can we find the game? How can we, you know, 
order it if we're interested in like the rule book or models because I know there's a lot of different opportunities and things that people can pick up. So plug, plug, plug. Where can we find you? Uh, you can, for the moment, um, go to Kickstarter. Uh, and you can search for Gangs of the Undercity. We have promised everybody that we are not going to put up our stuff for sale until we have been able to fulfill everything for the Kickstarter. Um, having said that, <laughs> if you go to backerkit.com uh, and you search for Gangs of the Undercity, we've we've sort of kept the pre-orders open <laughs> so if you want to order something you still can uh just because we haven't closed the backer kit shop yet and i don't know if i can actually give you uh a link can i do the can i give you a link and you can put it in the show notes mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, so I'll, I'll do that and then uh, yeah so you can you can go to the backer kit and you can order stuff still um probably up until we actually get all the stuff from the manufacturer and then we'll close down that that store and then we'll have it up on our website, which is fraggingunicorns.com. Very exciting. Very exciting. And just a quick, fun question. Uh, can we expect any interesting surprises in 2021 once obviously you've got everything shipped and kind of, you know, out in the uh, open once, you know, things are a little bit more normal for you guys. Uh, yes, you absolutely can. I will say that we already are working on new miniatures um, and whether those come out via Kickstarter or something else, I'm not sure yet. Um, but if you sign up early enough uh, and you get involved, you can expect some, some interesting things. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but mm. um, gang letters, for example, that sort of uh, give you an inside fictional look at all the gangs if you if you're you know in that particular uh, part of our Discord. So if you want to join our Discord, you can you can do that as well, um, and uh, you'll be getting little lore drops and and things like that here and there, uh, building up to the sort of official narrative campaigns that we're going to be dropping. Um, as soon as we get those scheduled. Yeah. All right. So we'll get that uh, discord link in the show notes. We'll get the store link in the show. Man. So exciting. Well, thank you so very much for your time. I really appreciate you guys coming on, talking about the game, giving us a little bit of the history insight on the mechanics and just kind of breaking down this really, it's such an interesting and unique approach because it's got flavors from a lot of different camps but it's still at its heart is a skirmish game in a cyberpunk universe, which I love that kind of universe. I like the hacking, the shooting, the magic, the stabbing, and everyone is their own hero and everyone else is their own villain. It's, yes. it's so great. It's so fun. <laughs> it excites me that you're so excited. That makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just like the fact you're like, oh yeah, you can make a guy who's Batman or maybe a green arrow guy or a hacker, you know, whatever you want, like a, a an avatar last airbender character. <laughs> yeah. Why would I not do that? That is, that is so <laughs> appealing to me. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to get on out of here. So I hope you guys have a great holiday season. We will definitely see you in 2021 to talk more about this game because we're going to have so much fun just hanging out and goofing off and talking about why, you know, this gang is better than the other because that's just probably how it's going to be once everyone gets their hands on this game. So thank you guys. We appreciate your time and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was great. It was great.